I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic computer. Welcome to the Lure Love Podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. John, lots of sports have crazy doubles. Oh, yeah, there have been some crazy baseball double plays over the years, that's for sure. And famous advertisements featuring doubles. Yeah, I remember those old double mint gum ads from the 1980s. Queuing up the TV ad from the archives. Double your pleasure with double mint gum. Double good, double fresh, double delicious. Double good, double good. Double mint gum. Double your pleasure with double mint gum. And the Sirts Breath Mint TV ads. Here's an old Sirts TV commercial. New Sirts is two mints in one. Stops bad breath in seconds. Tastiest mint of all. Yes, only new Sirts gives you two. Two. Two mints in one. What does this have to do with fishing lures? I hope all this nonsense has a point. Oh, there's a point, all right. Fishing has its doubles, too. Oh, yeah, like when you and your buddy hook up on fish at the same time. I love that. That's a great fishing double. But I was thinking about when one angler catches two fish at the same time on the same lure. Does that happen very often? Well, not often enough, but man, it's crazy fun when it does. There are some incredible YouTube videos of anglers catching two fish on one lure, including one guy who did it twice in the same day. I've got to see that. Searching YouTube for the video. Yep. <gasps> there's two! There's two! I got two fish! I got two fish, Suggy! 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 Yeah! Yeah! Yeah, baby! That's what the- Oh my god! I just caught two fish on one lure on a top water. The guys from Bass Fishing Productions are amazing, and we will drop a link to their YouTube channel in the show notes. And they were fishing with vintage lures, too. Then it happened again. <gasps> Two. Bro, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> Yo. Oh, my God. What the heck is going on? Yo, what is going on? Are you serious? Dude. What the heck? And that's just one of the many double fish on a single lure videos. So, John, has it ever happened to you, two fish on one lure? Only once. And like a lot of people, it was a couple of small bass. And I got them on a four, maybe five-inch Bagley's balsa bango lure. In fact, I still have it. I guess it does depend if you're talking about one lure or one rig, too. I love to fish with a hopper dropper when I'm fly fishing. And I use a floating grasshopper, and then I tie a piece of line to the hook with a nim for some other small sinking fly underneath. And you can often double up with fishing for panfish with this rig. And I've seen people double up on trout, too. Well, now, if we can talk about two bugs on the same rig, then I've doubled up on black bass, white bass, bluegill, and crappie. I mean, gosh, white bass and crappie, you can almost double on purpose if you have room to let the fish swim around a bit. I mean, their peers are awful, awful greedy and are attracted to those fast movements that the hook fish is making. Gosh darn it, Tim. Of course, you fool around like that. And the more fooling around you do, the more trouble you're liable to get into in terms of snags and fish coming off the hook 
or even having a big old flathead come swimming out of nowhere and inhale your little crappie. That'd be some pretty good trouble, but probably only go on for about 15 seconds. My best double fish have been in salt water, though, because you need a school of fish that want to fight over that lure and take it out of each other's mouth. I talked about fishing for snapper bluefish, which are just baby bluefish in the last episode. I would double up with them all the time, especially if I was using a rapala or another jerk bait. And I've doubled up on schoolie stripers, on larger topwater plugs. When you catch one, the others always seem to follow them all the way in. And sometimes they go after that lure trying to pull it right out of the other fish's mouth. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. All right. I mean, let's paraphrase a little Jethro Tull here. They'd take the candy from a laughing baby's mouth. I mean, they're out for number one in all cases. In salt, these schools of fish can be so huge and packed so tight that the competition between individual fish becomes absolutely fierce. But there are macro rigs with several individual lures and sabiki rigs, which I've caught mackerel and pollock on. But that's several lures on the same line, not really one lure. You know what? I knew sabiki rigs were going to show up in this conversation. I mean, that is crazy to see a fisher with 10 hooks and a rig and have a fish on every single one of them. I mean, there's really not many freshwater environments where that would be possible. But the craziest doubles and triples and quadruples I have ever had were fishing for larger bluefish using umbrella rigs. They had four 20-inch arms with a lure on each of those arms and then another lure in the middle for a total of five lures. And I don't know if you'd call that one large lure or five independent lures on a frame, but when you have four bluefish on at one time and you bring them into the boat flapping around with their razor sharp teeth and all those lures, it is pretty exciting and dangerous. Bluefish come in these huge schools, and when you get into them, the action will tie your arms out pretty quickly. Speaking of arms, what kind of lures were you putting on the arms of the bait? Well, with bluefish, it didn't much matter. Usually, we're using large single hooks that you put through a piece of colored surgical tubing. They look like a bait fish or an eel in the water, I guess. But that surgical tubing is stiff compared to most plastic lures, and it's super durable and tough, which you really need with bluefish because otherwise they'll just rip everything else apart. I never had the feeling that the lure mattered as much as simply putting something with a hook in front of that school. Some days they would really just hit anything. And bluefish are known for their feeding frenzies where they'll go crazy eating every, anything and everything that moves and then throwing it up so they can go back and eat more. Well, you know, white bass are famous for that sort of behavior. It's not exclusive to these pelagic fish, but they seem to display that sort of trait the most. So, John, my question is, if you were going to design a lure with the goal of catching two fish at the same time, what would your considerations be? What would be the most important thing to make it work? Wow, man, you're really putting me on the spot here. I think it all has to do with hook placement with that second fish in mind. That's crucial. You know, long poppers, walk baits, stretched out slim minnows, and so forth seem to catch a lot of doubles. But our video example shows that anything with two hooks on it can result in a double on one lure. One must keep in mind that second fish is trying to get the bait or at least knock off a piece. The first fish will have hit the lure toward the head probably 80 90 percent of the time so that generally leaves a back hook or something else free to catch a would-be thief and of course many times three or four fish go for the bait at the same time sometimes a fish can be make a very precise run at a bait but a lot of times they have to slash at it in a hurry the point is they're being vulnerable to that back hook but i'm telling you it's really they're really not that vulnerable i mean not a lot of people have you know these hookup stories 
um, you know, the hook fish is certainly not going to help you unless it lurches right at the exact moment to set the hook. So you're really depending on the second fish to hit the thing hard enough that it hooks itself. I mean, I'm sitting here wondering what is the hookup ratio on that? What does it amount to? You know, and I'll tell you another thing, man. <laughs> I also wonder how many times it's like a three stooges routine where several fish collide at the lure. And the first striker gets knocked off the hook. You know, you, you feel that hard bang and there's some good weight just for a tiny fraction of a second and then kind of a tug and everything's gone. You're going, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, those are good points. I, I think some of those vintage lures with the five treble hooks, those really do the trick. It's almost impossible not to hook a fish when you hit something that is has hooks on virtually every side of it. And even with one fish on, there's still two or three exposed treble hooks left. So your odds must go up. And, you know, if you created a longer bait, you could probably put 10 treble hooks on it and come down, Tim, come down. Thanks, Lucy. You know, the only technical intuition I have is that I feel that a one piece hard bait might be a better bet than a jointed one because the hook's going to stay put and not be swinging around every which way due to the gyrations of the first hook fish. I'm sorry, brother. I hate to disappoint you, Tim, but I don't think I can come up with anything that's any better than what's out there. I mean, clearly, if one wants to catch more than one fish at a time as an angling goal, then you have to learn to use sabiki rigs, double rigs, donkey rigs, dropper rigs, umbrella rigs, something like that with their separate baits all traveling together. I mean, the key to getting two with one is to use a two hook lure for sure and fish it where there's a lot of hungry, aggressive fish. I mean, that's what the dudes in the video did. You need fish that are hunting in groups or that are in a similar competitive situation. You know, that pond that seldom gets fished and is full of feisty two to four pound bass. Where the heck is this pond? <laughs> Somebody <laughs> tell me. Anyway, you're telling me, you know, that'd be a great place to tie on a six inch devil horse, hook the first one and then let the fight go a bit on the way in. I mean, don't wear him out, but, you know, leave him out there a little bit. Don't just cartwheel him straight on in. Give his cousin a chance to get in on the fun. Shake and bake squared, baby. I want some of those lures in my box. Speaking of doubles, my cloning project to create duplicates of the two of you keeps malfunctioning. I've been cloning each of you in a secret laboratory in Colorado, so the podcast can live forever. So what's the problem? Every time the clones get to the size of about a 10-year-old, they run away to go fishing, and I never see them again. Those are some smart kids. So if you ever see your doppelganger on a river somewhere... Don't worry. It's likely just one of those clones. Hmm. I wonder if I met myself on a river, if I'd share my secret spot with myself or if I wouldn't trust myself. I doubt my 10 year old self would give his lucky lure to my current self, even though I could tell him what his lucky lure was before he told me. This is like the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, where if Bill and Ted went back in time and saw themselves, it would alter the time space continuum. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K Tackle Shop, John. All we are is dust in the wind, dude. These segments always start with such promise and end up where I never expected. Party on, dudes. Party, Party on, on, Lucy. This just in, Spro has launched the CJ Smasher, a soft plastic bait that fishermen can use for a drop shot, a Texas rig, or with the jig head techniques. Designed by professional anglers Corey and Chris Johnston, the CJ Smasher uses Spro's DuraTuff material and amino bite scent, making the three-inch long bait super soft, yet super tough, and with a ton of action. 
The DuraTuff is an elastomer-type plastic in the same category as Elastec. Because of that construction, the lure floats completely and makes for great action in the water. Corey Johnston secured a victory at the Bass Open using this soft plastic lure, and Chris Johnston took home first place honors at a major league fishing event with this in his tackle box. Spro's amino bite scent is ideal for both freshwater and saltwater using a custom blend of amino acids. When it is in the water, it creates a scent trail that travels through the water column and calls fish closer. The scent infused into the CJ Smasher forces fish to strike by activating their predatory instincts, and we just let nature take over. The new CJ Smasher from Spro is available in 10 different color options and sold in packs of five. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Wow, I love this on so many levels, and we have to test the CJ Smasher. First, I love that lure companies are making more durable, soft plastics. We love fishing Z-Man because they're tougher, and now we're seeing other companies get in the game. I can't wait to see how the CJ Smasher holds up under tough angling conditions. Yeah, me too. You know, when you sent me this, I poked around a bit, and you know, there's not only companies like Strike King getting a license to brand Elastex formula under their own brand, but there are other companies making a similar formula and allowing offshoot companies to use their formula to create baits under their brands. Thus, we have a word for this type of silicone plastic, elastomers. Plastisol is the vinyl type plastic and elastomers are the stretchy silicone type plastic. Z-Man is a leader and always will be, but it's great to see some competition entering the field. The other thing I like about this is the infused scent. Before this year, I hadn't used scent very often, but I'm testing Procure scents to see if it increases the number of fish I catch. Well, I'm telling you, I've had some positive results. Of course, I haven't been able to test as much as I want to either, but I bought myself a jar of Berkeley Gulf Alive Red Worms quite a while back uh, before winter started. You know, they kind of got a little dry and kind of, you know, they weren't good and stinky every time I opened the lid. So I took some of that pro scent and I squirted in there, shook the jar up, squirted a little more, shook the jar up. And I'm telling you, I'm getting more strikes than ever before. I, I can say positively, you know, at least in my anecdotal experience, you know, it, that stuff really works on bluegill and crappie and panfish like that. Now, I am marinating some Z-Man Senkos. I've got them in a package marinating away down inside my uh, tackle a uh, backpack. I've not had a chance to get out with them, but they're good and stinky. But the zip on those Z-Man bags is dependable, folks. It's all right. So Ms. Kathy, she hasn't got any reason to protest. Hey, like when I left my shad nuggets open on the kitchen table. Oh, and where did you first see these Procure scents, by the way? John, I'll start when I chatted with Corey Schmidt from Z-Man Fishing. I had read that Z-Man recommends Procure with their baits, and many of the Procure scents are oil-based, and there's some debate in the field regarding whether fish can taste oil because oil doesn't dissolve in water. Very interesting. In humans, taste is the perception produced or stimulated when a substance in the mouth reacts chemically with taste receptor cells located on taste buds on the tongue. There are between 2,000 and 5,000 taste buds that are located on the back and front of the tongue. Others are located on the roof, sides and back of the mouth, and in the throat. Each taste bud contains 50 to 100 taste receptor cells. The basic taste modalities contribute only partially to the sensation and flavor of food in the mouth. Other factors include smell, detected by the nose. But for humans to taste a food, it has to be in a liquid. That's why humans have saliva. If you dry off your tongue with a paper towel, and have someone put a piece of a dry food on your tongue, you won't likely be able to tell what it is, 
because your taste buds can't sense it in a dry form. So how does all that work with fish? That's the question I asked Corey. It's a pretty complicated topic, but I'll summarize what he shared. First, many anglers fall into the trap of valuing smell and scent over flavor and taste. And Corey's written at length about this for In Fisherman Magazine over the years. In Corey's opinion, what's always been valuable about certain attractant lace baits is the flavor taste side of the equation as opposed to scent. When a bass eats and retains a bait in its mouth for an appreciable period, the chances of detecting the strike and setting the hook increase, right? So Corey shared that he's had bass eat a bait like a scented jerk shad Z or worm and hold it for an extended period of time before dropping it. So have you experienced that, John, where a fish really held on to that bait for a long time? You know, I've never really used that until you got us this pro cure gig. But I have fished a ton of artificial plus bait type setups. I mean, I love a jigging nightcrawler for walleye. Love a jigging minnow for crappie in the dead of winter. Uh, love a jigging meat strip, you know, with a strip of shad or a strip of chicken even or a perch belly or something on it for general drift fishing where, hey, you might catch a cat, you might catch a walleye, you might catch a drum, might catch a wiper, you know, that kind of setup. What I'm getting at is all these give you what you and Corey are talking about. I mean, it's not just scent in terms of smell but a feel and a taste these natural bait add-ons to allure get the fish to hang on longer now if i can get close to that experience by juicing a few zip bags of z-man baits with procure scent then that makes my life a whole lot easier when i had my old bait fridge i did not mind cutting up bait or keeping worms but now the places where i used to buy my minnows are all closed and while worms are still pretty easy to come by i can actually get off cheaper with a plastic if i can produce something that's close to what nature can in some cases, Corey's almost reeled a bass all the way back to the boat with Procure Lace Jerk Shad Z. When that fish just refused to relinquish the meal that was in its mouth. And bass rarely, if ever, retain baits, including soft plastics. You see these videos where they'll take them in and spit them out and take them in and spit them out. But if you have that secondary attractant, maybe it gets them to hold on to that bait a little bit longer because it's already soft. It's a soft plastic. So that feels like a live bait. And now it has the taste that goes with it. Well, I hear exactly, you know, what you're saying there, Tim. I mean, I don't know if a scent is required because I have had bass and pike too locked down on a lure and then just basically open their mouth and side of the boat and let it go. Um, you know, they were never pinned in the first place, which is kind of discouraging because they are giving you a good for real fight there, you know, but it's funny to me because a lot of folks think hook fish thrash around in terror the way a human would. But a lot of the time, I think it's more of a matter of like playing pull the rag with a dog. Those predators just don't want to let go of their hard won food. I mean, that they're tricked and being sucked up by a mothership doesn't seem to occur to them sometimes. And they're just trying to keep hold of that food. They're just trying to keep it from getting away. But then they see the mothership. And that's one reason circle hooks, for example, work so well when you learn how to use them properly. I mean, as the fish, you know, struggles and shakes his head to hang on to that bait, the worse it gets for him because the circle hook will just slip right in the corner of their mouth. Uh, you know, I, I think in more pressured fisheries where bass do a lot more pecking and inquisitive mouthing of a soft bait, I think that's the arena where lures impregnated with taste are going to give us a real advantage. Corey also shared that relative to other fish like catfish or salmon, bass have a much less developed sense of smell, and they mostly use their sense of smell as a social function, giving cues to other bass and receiving cues from them. So spawning cues, for example, have been shown to be smell related. Yeah, bass but don't practice that at home, okay? Don't. <laughs> 
That's for the bass only. <laughs> Don't get yourself in trouble. How does Kathy put up with you? Bass also seem capable of perceiving smells given off by wounded or stressed bass, as well as perhaps prey fish. But while smell may serve some small function in bass feeding, smell is dwarfed by the importance of sight and vision and sound and vibration and secondarily taste. It's true that oil doesn't dissolve in water, but as fish constantly swim through the water, they're constantly ingesting water into their mouths and expelling it out their gills. So it's logical to assume that fish may be tasting the natural oils exuded by bait fish, such as shad as they swim. And bass are known to be equipped with a large concentration of taste buds lining their lips and exterior and interior of their mouths for a very specific reason, feeding. You know, maybe instead of saying smelling or tasting, perhaps a better word would be perceiving. I you know, fish perceive their environment with some senses that we humans share. I mean, like vision, but then again, you know, the, the eyes, the shape, the, what we exactly see are, are sometimes very, very different. Uh, but of course, fish have other senses that we lack entirely. I mean, to get a fish to strike, to flip that on button, one must stimulate a variety of factors, or like we say in fishing, pull enough of those triggers to get the collective senses of a bass to send enough or any other fish, but to send enough signals to the fish's brain that says, hit that thing. Now, let's say we have a lovely little mountain stream full of native cutthroat trout that seldom, if ever, get fished at. And the number of triggers with these is going to be few, and they're going to be relatively easy to access. I mean, you could probably use a size 16 atoms all day, and your cast don't have to be perfect or anything like that. Heck, you and I, Tim, could probably catch a few, no matter how uncoordinated and ungracious our cast may be. But you get a city lake where people fish all the time and the fish are wary and their senses are trained to avoid lures and baits because survival wins out over the need to feed. The easy triggers are now not so easy anymore because their experience and their intelligence is acting upon the sensory input. But all fish have moments where they'll lose their heads and become a lot easier to catch. For example, if a fisher goes to that pressured lake in a steady rain, they might do real well because probably no one's going to be out there. And we all know stories about fished out lakes turning out amazing catches because anglers figure out to start fishing at night. Now, not everybody can do this that wants to, and I feel your pain. I know the feeling. But really, as much as I've heard about it and the limited times I've done it, I've been very successful. Uh, you got to know night fishing changes the level of importance for certain sensory receptors. Sight goes on the back burner, for example, whereas vibration becomes way more important. And I assume scent, taste, mouthfeel, that's going to factor in more as well. That's such a great point, John. I know one of the rivers that I fish in, it's very heavily pressured. And I've caught some big fish out of there almost always when I've got there before dawn. So it, it's darker and you have that stealth. And so oftentimes fishing at night or in those bad conditions, it does make a big difference in what you catch. Because if you go there Saturday at two in the afternoon and people have been there all morning and the sun's bright, those fish just do not want to be around. So that's a really good point. I, I told Corey, you were a genius about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Tim. Well, listen, I'm telling you, we had Corey in the first bit. We got Corey in this bit. When I have a grandson, I'm going to tell Sarah, you best name him Corey. <laughs> Don't name him John because uh, Corey seemed to know what they're go going on about too. Corey went on to say that in saltwater, anglers use oils from species such as Manhattan to create chum slicks. And it's no coincidence that predatory fish will swarm behind the boat when those oils are being slowly drizzled into the water. 
they're likely smelling or tasting the fish oils from some distance and tracking them back to the source, which is the boat. That was one of the factors which led Z-Man to use an oil-based attractant, Procure, in bags of certain baits, such as the scented Paddler Z and the scented Jerk Shad Z. Okay, so tell me, what did they specifically like about the Procure line of scents? Well, it really was this 100% natural fish oils, John. Procure is composed of 100% natural fish oils, the same species targeted by wild predatory fish. And the rest of the magic in it is perhaps that Procure also adds this amino acids to its attractant solutions. That's what we just heard Spro is doing too. These are the same amino acids used to stimulate feeding response in farm-raised fish and aquaculture. Unlike the fish oils themselves, the amino acids are water-soluble, and they're mixed into Procure's gel solutions. All right, so you get the best of both worlds. Oil and water-soluble scents. That is pure genius. Corey made some other great points. What did I forget? First, almost every large predatory fish prefers to eat the oiliest species available. In freshwater, walleyes, salmon, pike, muskies, and even largemouth and smallmouth bass prefer omega-3 rich bait fish, such as herring, alewives, shad, and trout when they encounter them in the wild. Oh, I'm with you there, Lucy. I mean, our good friend, the Oklahoma pond lady, Amy Robeson, and other pond stocking experts recommend fathead minnows, for example, over other species because they are fractional spawners, but also because they are more fat and juicy than other fish. They're very oily and very nutritious. I know in our pond, the growth rate on bass was outstanding after we had stocked fatheads. Bluegills can grow big bass over time, but fatheads in a proper pond environment can send the whole thing on a rocket ride. The bass know what fish to eat first and what fish to eat next. Most animals do have food preferences, and how they develop those preferences is some interesting biological study. You ought to see the cardinals and the robins go after my black cherry trees. I mean, they get so fat, they can hardly fly away. And bass treat fathead minnows the same way, and so do crappie. It's just something about those forage fish. Corey also mentioned that Procure adheres exceptionally well to elastic baits. The elastic material acts like a sponge, soaking up the oil-based Procure and retaining it for a long time. Even after dozens of casts, multiple fish, and over an hour of fishing, you'll often still be able to smell the fish oils and feel the sticky Procure adhering to an elastic bait. When it wears off, you simply drop the bait back into the bag, perhaps adding extra procure if you want, and the bait will soak up more scent. Oh, I tell you, I cannot wait to continue testing these procure scents. This could be a real game changer in my fishing. I wonder if they ever use scent when noodling. Ah, uh, I don't understand. Noodling is fishing for catfish using one's bare hands and is practiced primarily in the southern United States. The noodler places their hand inside a discovered catfish hole in order to catch the fish. The fish clamps down on the person's hand and arm, and the noodler wrestles the fish out of the hole. How is scent involved with that? Oh, Tim, I see where you're going with this. Okay, so the night before a big noodling outing, the noodler goes to bed with a pan of scent next to his bed, and he lays his arm in there and soaks it in the scent all night long. And then those giant catfish can't wait to poke their head out of that hole and just chomp right down on his hand. Genius. John, you read my mind. There's not much to read there. It's a short story at best. More like a comic book. And soaking your arm in scent before noodling is not a genius idea. It is a foolish idea. Noodling itself is a foolish idea. 
I've read stories about noodlers putting their hands into beaver holes and being bitten by snakes. Oh, come on, Lucy. You can't believe everything you read on the internet. But I... There are even noodling guides. But I... Take a look at the Get Bit Noodling website. They say getting bit is like when Iron Man restarted the jet turbine on the flying aircraft carrier. Oh, so cool. And noodling means that I'm a human fishing lure. I love that. I mean, I love that. I only wish that the crappy hippie noodling lure came in pumpkin green or hot pink. Oh, man, I can so do that. A quick trip to the thrift store and my arm can be adorned with any color combination from hot pink, prom dress, sparkles, to a beautiful blue denim, to a very chic Docker's khaki brown. Brother, I can do it all. Now you're talking. I've clearly lost control here. So let's move on to our next segment. Good thing I always have my microphone on when we go fishing together. Our latest trip was quite interesting. Let me play the file for you. There aren't any fish here. Come on, crappy hippie. We've only made three casts. I really do not think we have given this area a fair or thorough working over. We just need to. Crappy hippie, we could have fished that spot. What are you doing? All right, now this is where we need to be. Yeah, but you just came in at full power and made a huge wake that's tossing the lotus pads around. We certainly did not sneak up on them. Now, where is that stupid tube? I put it over here? No, 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 wait. I think it's in here. Oh, over, over there. There it is. Is that it over there? Dang it. Where the heck? I'm happy to run the trolling motor, but you have to drop it in for me, remember? Huh? Oh, no, it's okay. I got it. Where's my medium action spinning rod? Leave it over here in the panel box. Crappy hippie, look out! Huh? What? Oh! Dang it! You knocked right into the deadfall I wanted to fish! If they haven't run clear off, you've definitely put a lock on their jaws. It's tough enough fishing out here on a summer weekend with all these other boats around without you spooking the fish on top of everything. Oh, sorry man, you are so right. I have screwed this place clear up. Let's just go. I disagree. This is a big cove with a good creek running into it. There are some other spots that we could try right here. It takes patience to catch. Crappy hippie. Not again. Okay, this looks like a pretty good area. Which way should we go? What was wrong with that spot over there? I want to go over there. There's two boats up in there already. It's already fished out. The guy's working that grass better pulling out. I ain't going to go in there and work a spot right after a boat has left it. What are you? An angler or a chicken? Yeah, our good friend Angie Scott says you should never be afraid to follow another angler if the spot has potential. I didn't see them catch anything, but they only worked it for about 15 minutes, maybe less. There ought to be some fish in there. Now, why do we want to go over there, Tim, if they didn't catch nothing? Look at it this way, crappy hippie. Maybe we ought to work this over because they did not catch anything. My scanners indicate that this grass bed has all the classic elements of good largemouth habitat. If they did not catch any fish, then that means they are still in there. I like that logic. Temporarily disabling the motor. No way, Lucy, don't! Now, crappy hippie. 
All we have is the trolling motor. And I am going to run it. Moving us slowly and quietly into position. That's perfect, Lucy. Here's the deal, John. If you behave, and fish like I know you can, I will give you Cheetos cheese-flavored puffs. But if you continue to act like a spaz, you will lose Cheetos. Do you understand? Oh, so you're using the old horse and carrot routine on me. Yes, but it is the crappy hippie and Cheetos routine in this case. Okay, okay. Oh, let me rig up. You know, I think I'm going to start with a small spinnerbait. That's five Cheetos for you. Downsizing your lure is a good technique for pressured lakes. Oh, boy. Take it easy, Padro. I mean, is this a fishing trip or a fencing lesson? You're putting a lot of speed and action into that retrieve. You just lost five Cheetos for fishing like an anxious gnat after five cups of coffee. Oh, man. Oh, there's one. It's a pretty good one, too. Oh, yeah. That'll go three or four. What? Gosh darn it, I just flew over there. Yeah, but you made a vague cast in the general direction. See that little area where the grass thins down and then fails completely? But it's surrounded by thriving grass on all sides. Well, I think there's some rocks or maybe it's a stump or something that the grass can't grow in. Or is it a type of grass that can't grow in water over three feet deep, which means there's a sink in there? Well, the cast I threw well beyond it and then slowly worked my neg rig right into that area and let it sink. And then? And then nothing. I just sat here listening to you and Lucy go at it while you churned up water with your spinner bait. I didn't move my bait for a full minute. When I bumped it once, that's all it took to get a bump back from a nice fish. Oh, man. Cool. Now, let me guess. You used a green pumpkin TRD or a watermelon, right? Oh, no, black and blue. That's a popular one, too. Look, John, half the anglers out here are using those colors, and they're good colors, but I wanted to change it up a bit. So I'm using a Z-Man TRD Tickler Z in copper truce, and I had it soaking in Procure scent all night. Like we said about crappy fishing in muddy water, when you're up against tough conditions, anything you can do to increase the sensory appeal of a bait is worth the time. I love these Tickler Z Ned baits. The little feelers on the bait give it great action. Even when it just sits there, the smallest current will cause some motion in those feelers, just like in an enemy. There's one. Not the biggest, but a nice chunk. Way to go, Lucy. Now, what'd you get him on? A crappy dueler reel to imitate a feeding minnow. I run it, then slow it down, run it, and then let it drop to the bottom and sit for a 10 to 20 count. And then move it again. But because your company is new and only a couple thousand anglers nationwide use the dueler, it is a bait most fish have not seen, and its construction is so unique that they have not heard a lure like it either. It is small and different, which is the type bait you want in this circumstance. Okay, so accurate casting, try different lures, but keep on the small side of things, and show a lot of patience and work these spots thoroughly. Excellent job, John. You get 40 Cheetos and a grape juice box. Catch a nice fish and I will double that reward. Two hours later. Okay, we're back at the marina. I'm going to return the boat. Lucy, keep an eye on Crappy Hippie, would you please? Oh, 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 man. I don't feel so good. You ought to feel great.
You earned 400 Cheetos and 11 juice boxes. Between the three of us, we caught more than 20 nice fish out of that spot, and you got the biggest. A five and a half pounder. No one said you had to eat the rewards as you earned them. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I could have saved some for later. What's wrong with your friend? He got a weird orange or purple camo face on him. Just a case of risk and reward. It took some kid food incentive, but we finally got him to slow down and fish. Well, that was a good idea. I mean, yeah, snacks, man. They could really help a guy think. I'm telling you, y'all the only ones to find a good bunch of fish today. Seems like everyone's been through here, caught a couple of fish, but you guys really found them. Oh, I'm warning you, that splotchy hippie fella looks a lot like my grandson right before he... <laughs> Sprayed my truck cab with Cheeto chunks. Well, at least your friend lost it into an empty boat slip. Oh, aren't we lucky. Come on, crappy hippie. Hey, brother, your droid is really cool. Where can I get one? Shh, don't let her hear you. I know she looks kind of like a droid because of the track drive mobility system I made for her, but she is not a droid. Certainly not. While I am mobile like a droid, I am actually a Luramatic supercomputer. And Tim and Crappy Hippie are my servants. Whoa, okay, well, I'll tell you, your hearing's excellent too. But I tell you, it might be a good idea to get your one servant some 7-Up and Pepto-Bismol. He don't look so good. Thank you, sir. We will take care of him. Tim is hosing him off for the ride home as we speak. It has been a pleasure to make your acquaintance, Ms. Lucy. And yours, sir. Um, mister? Wilcox. Wilcox is the name. Shorty Wilcox. But my friends call me Shadfart. So please just call me Shadfart. Okay. This is awkward. Mr. Shadfart. You don't need to explain your name. I can smell the shad. No, we ain't need be so formal like that, Miss Lucy. Mr. Shadfart, that's what they call my dad. Just Shadfart will do. Well, Shadfart, we must be going. Tim, have you gotten crappy hippie into the car? I hope you covered the seats with trash bags. We are good to go. See you next time, Wilcox. Bye now. Smell you later. Now back to the tackle shop to talk about lures we used today and why. Oh, I'm feeling better. I'm all cleaned up and I'm ready to stock our high pressure lake box. We caught a total of 22 bass. Crappy Hippie got 11. I caught five and Tim caught six. They ranged in size from eight ounces to five and a half pounds. The average was two pounds, 6.34 ounces. And none of them were easy fish, not even the hammer handles. That lake gets beat up pretty good on the weekend. Man, it sure does. I bet those bass get good and tired of boats passing overhead and the whirr of trolling motors and paddle splash and these weird tall creatures with sticks. The keys to success were a stealthy approach to an area we were confident held fish, casting accuracy, creative lure selection, and above all, patience. Patience to work each cast with concentration and finesse. Patience to take one's time with each retrieve. And patience to work the spot thoroughly, working different lures in different ways to induce a bite. So what are your favorite lures when you face a tough bite? 
Okay, so my first pick is going to be that smallest size Berkeley hit stick. It's a great one on the edges. It was a great one over any submerged grass we came across, and it was a great one to work through any bare spots in the hayfield. I'm telling you, folks, jerk baits aren't just for early spring. They work all 365. Oh, I like that one. And especially, John, because you can suspend that bait. When you jerk it and stop, it just sits there, just like you were talking about with a Ned rig, where you can just have it sit in one spot. Also, those things cast like a rocket, and you can get them exactly where you want them. However, I stuck with plastics most of today. I like the Ned Rig Z-Man TRDs on an offset hook so I can fish weedless. Finesse fishing for bass with a medium action spinning rod is what I do. I just love it. One of my new favorites are the Z-Man long shots. I tend to like fat worms like TRDs and Senkos, and I find myself getting a bit of tunnel vision when it comes to worms. I had a feeling the fish had not seen these long, thin style worms very often. They have great action and they work great on a drop shot for a couple of fish, including my biggest today. I like John's Angle King and Crappy Duelers. The Angle King has three line tie points on it. Attaching the line to the back tie causes the lure to swim at a 45 degree angle. It also allows you to retrieve the lure very slowly. I was able to work it over and through a lot of the grass. The dueler is only 2.5 inches long, a perfect small bait for the situation. And, of course, underspin jigs like almost any jig are easy to cast with accuracy. Well, thank you, Lucy. Yeah, they are good lures, and they're noisy lures, too, what with that two-blade setup. Another spinner, though, I like to use, and you saw me use it a few times out there, was either a beetle spinner or a small spinner bait. But sometimes you don't want a lot of vibration. What? <laughs> don't get all tense and turn red on me crappy hippie everybody loves a spinner but if the bass are very spooky a lure like a johnson silver minnow can throw a bit of flash and get through the grass drop in the holes and draw strikes with a much more gentle swimming motion the trailers have that movement and allow you to, to swim that bait along more slowly and gracefully you know what i wish we had but did not take was a hollow frog a topwater frog would have been very useful as we worked our way deeper and deeper into the grass bed. Okay, good one, Lucy. Let's make sure and put two or three in right now. Let's say these striking models are tried and true. Everybody loves these. Let's put them in there. Oh, oh here, check this out. There's a new product I saw on Raw Fishing. They're called froglets. They're half-transformed frogs from American Snakehead. Aren't they cool? Oh, yeah. They still have part of the tadpole tail, and they appear to be an elastomer-type plastic. Now, when it comes to plastics, I want to make sure we have all we need here for Ned rigs, drop shots, Carolina rigs, Texas rigs, and Neko setups. Let's make sure Tim's new Neko nail weights get in the kit. Because as you move deeper and deeper into cover to find these nervous fish, a rig with weed sneaking capability is essential. And that means plastics. And you want a lot of natural colors. But you have to have an open mind. Half and half contrast can work well, and I don't go anywhere without some zany colors like a hot pink, Wonder Bread, or a sweet potato pie, so I put those in there. Not all plastics for shy bass need to resemble a bow hunter's cap. Agree, agree. So go ahead and put this green apple and brown one in there, too. That's one of my favorites. Here, and here's a few swim jigs. Here's a couple football jigs, and uh, let's make sure we do with weed guards on all of them because we're going to be fishing in some dense cover. And some Procure scent as well as a couple packs of Boyd's Bites hand-rubbed, garlic-infused lizards and worms. Like you say, we want to get the fish to fire on all their sensory cylinders. 
That's just about it. I want to put in one last lure, a vintage devil's horse stick bait. Oh, man, that's awesome. I used to fish with those when I was a kid. Okay, okay. Speaking of when I was a kid, I'm going to make my last offerings these old mural lures. I have a classic red and white three-incher articulated floater, and I have a jointed silver 1.5-inch slow sinker. You will not believe how many times that tiny little bait, that tiny little mural or minnow bait, has saved the skunk. My last choice is a head and tiny torpedo. When it comes to surface lures, sometimes it pays to drop the plop and go with a prop. Okay, only one question remains. What do I put in my snack dispenser for our next outing? Oh, Lucy, anything but Cheetos. I think I'm going to be off them for a while. What about Oreos and strawberry quick? Oh, oh boy, that sounds delicious. Oh, no. Hey, man, where are you going? Out to the car to put my trash bag slip covers back on the seats. Guys, I have some good news and some not as good news. What is it? What is it? Did I win Powerball lottery, but Tim didn't? That'd be good news. And some not so good news. No, that's not it. You two are getting way behind in your lure testing. Boy, I know it. I have a huge box of lures I need to test. I have the Biospawn Vile Bug and the Vile Minnow and the 10,000 Fish Sakoshi Bug. I have the Guggen Squad Junior Contender Swim Bait and the Berkeley Magic Swimmer. Plus, I've got some vintage lures to review, like the Roland Martin Helicopter Lure and Alex Langer's Flying Lure and Buck Perry Spoon Plugs. And Z-Man is sending us a bunch of small chatterbaits to test. And later this summer, they're sending us the new Panfish Micro Finesse baits made from Elastic. I am getting way behind. Slap a ditto on that, man. So many lures, so little time. Exactly. So I need you two spending more time on the water. It's of critical importance. I've made the executive decision to go to a once-a-month podcast, at least until we can work through the lures you need to test. Now, once a month doesn't seem... I don't want to hear any back talk. Those are your marching orders. Get out there and test those lures and report back. I want to include some reviews for our August episode. Don't we get a say in this? Actually, you don't. Do you remember when we first came up with the idea for the Lure Love podcast? Sure I do. And you remember that you were in a hurry to go fishing, so you just signed the incorporation documents without reading them? Yeah, kind of. Well, those documents gave each of you 24% ownership in the podcast. But it gave me 52% ownership, meaning I have controlling interest. You guys work for me, and I call the shots. And you're ordering us to fish more? Affirmative. Well, no argument from me. Me neither. See ya. I'm off to the pond. Me too. Those guys love making the podcast, but they love fishing even more. So we'll see you in the first week of August with another original episode of the Lure Love Podcast. Crappy Hippie has something special for July too, a collection of past material from this and other podcasts the boys have been on which you may or may not have heard. Until then, remember the Lure Love motto, why buy one lure, when you can buy a hundred and three. Lure Love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure Love, can't I make you see? 